You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Ukraine's energy ministry is under ransomware attack. Kaspersky finds infrastructure belonging to Energetic Bear. Lots of anonymous Twitter accounts pop up in East Asia. Orange Worm is after something in healthcare networks, but whether it's IP or PII is unclear. We've got disclosure and patch notes. Kaspersky may be the subject of U.S. sanctions. A hacker in the Yahoo breach case could get almost eight years. And as midterms approach, thoughts turn to election security. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 24th, 2018. A ransomware attack has hit Ukraine's energy ministry. A spokeswoman for the ministry told the BBC that the attack was isolated, that no other agencies have been affected, and that indeed the ministry's email is up and running. Still, the incident is a nuisance. The ransom screens are written in English. It's not good English. It looks very much like an actual non-native speaker's production, and not something in shadow broker's ease. For example, it says, Oops, your website have been encrypted, and all files will be delete. They're asking for just 0.1 Bitcoin, which comes to just under $1,000, and they're not taking PayPal or any other substitutes. The indications are that it's a simple criminal attack as opposed to misdirection by nation-state, like for example not Petya. Ukrainian authorities have a criminal investigation in progress. Moscow-based security firm Kaspersky Lab says that it's uncovered infrastructure used by the Crouching Yeti threat group, also known as Energetic Bear, for attacks against industrial networks. They've been tracking the group since about 2010. They call it a notorious Russian-speaking group that has been active for many years and is still successfully targeting industrial organizations through watering hole attacks. The researchers note, somewhat darkly, that the diversity of infected servers and scanned resources suggests the group may operate in the interests of third parties. A surge in anonymous Twitter accounts in Southeast and East Asia has prompted speculation about the formation of bots to influence public opinion through the social media platform. Twitter doesn't believe it's yet seen anything out of order, because maybe it's just a bunch of starstruck types following celebrities, 
but people are looking for signs of information operations. Symantec and others are tracking Orange Worm, a cyber espionage campaign that's hitting healthcare organizations. X-ray and MRI devices are most often affected. Many researchers doubt that the group behind the campaign is a nation-state, but the attacker's goals are obscure. They seem to be after either personal information about patients or intellectual property about the medical devices themselves. Google's Project Zero has disclosed a vulnerability in Windows 10. It's possible to bypass Windows lockdown policy in a way that can result in arbitrary code execution. Microsoft missed Google's 90-day deadline for addressing reported vulnerabilities, so Google has gone public with the unpatched issue. Presumably a patch will be forthcoming, but there's nothing available now. The business-focused social network LinkedIn has issued a patch for its autocomplete API. The function turned out to be leaky. Quantifying cyber risk is an ongoing challenge faced by many organizations. Jerry Caponera is vice president of cyber risk strategy at Nehemiah Security, and he maintains we need a methodology to quantify, justify, and advance the risk management conversation among executives. Pretty much everybody I've ever spoken to has said they want to be able to treat cybersecurity as a business. But there's just a lot of churn on what that means, how to do it, and what they should do. So definitely early, um, but with just a huge upside. I feel as though in the last uh, year or two, the conversation has certainly shifted at the board level where people are talking about risk um, in terms of risk. Um, Do you feel like there's still a ways to go? I do. So what's interesting is I think you're right. I think in the last year or two, I've seen that shift as well, too. I think there's a couple of drivers for that shift personally. One is obviously we're seeing and hearing more about large financial losses due to attacks. I think it was last fall, uh, Merck was hit with a cyber, with a ransomware attack, and they finally said they lost on it. The cost them on it are about hundred, about three hundred and fifty million dollars. About a third of that was related to revenue, and the rest with other costs. So that's that, that's kind of an eye-opening number. You're starting to see, I think, one more high-profile attacks. The second thing I think that's driving much more awareness for companies at the board level is you're starting to see a, some more regulations. I'm actually a big fan of what the EU has done with GDPR Hmm. because they're finally starting to put teeth to some of the cyber regulations that exist. You know, having uh, losing data on a European national and having to deal with potentially a 4% of my revenue loss, that's a big number potentially. So you're starting to see more numbers pop up, which is good. And the third thing is just recently we saw the SEC release uh, a report that basically says companies need to start talking about what a material cybersecurity risk is. Now, the, gener- the guidance was vague there, but reading, on the, you know, reading that on the walls, reading with Sarbanes-Oxley compliance and where that's going, you can see that not only are companies starting to get aware, they're starting to have to become aware, which is, unfortunately, we, I don't believe full change for a company will take effect until they have to. So how do you guide people along towards these conversations? It kind of depends on who you're talking to. Uh, the reality is these conversations are still amongst two different camps, right? Those I'll call them, I think you said, in the security camp or, and those on the business side of the camp. You have to drive them to the answer based on which camp they're actually in. So we were just having a conversation about uh, working on some material to help educate security folks that what they really need to be doing is, is aligning with the key 
uh, strategic initiatives the organization is taking in the next 12 to 18 months, right? How do they start to show that security is an enabler? And the only way to do that is to actually tie to the business initiatives. If your goal as a company is to grow 400%, which means you have to increase your online presence by, you know, 50% so you can generate more leads. What would a cyber attack potentially do that could impact that? On the security side, how do I make sure that an attack doesn't happen? Because if it does, it's going to inhibit my ability to basically make that number. I heard it. I heard um, a gentleman once say that the best way we can answer the question you asked is to stop thinking of cyber professionals. When we announce ourselves saying we're cyber people, we should be saying we're business people with a cybersecurity focus because it's that closing of the gap between the cyber and the business that, that's going to make this a reality. And you have to drive those conversations up from where security is and down from where the business is. And that simple example of, hey, I want to grow my online presence by 50% so I can generate more marketing leads because marketing is our number one driver for future revenue. The question then becomes, well, how can cyber help the business reach that goal? And if we can have that conversation, we're in the right track. That's Jerry Caponera from Nehemiah Security. As the U.S. government weighs sanctions against Russia, one of its targets may be Kaspersky. Officials say they're considering banning all of the company's operations in the U.S., in addition to the already effective ban on U.S. federal agencies buying Kaspersky products. Any such sanctions would be imposed after Kaspersky's suit, alleging it's the victim of an unconstitutional bill of attainder, is resolved. Kaspersky denies that it's improperly connected to Russian intelligence, but Western officials say there's a problem in Russian laws that compel cooperation with security services. Speaking of Russian security services, the hacker accused of exposing 3 billion or so Yahoo records on behalf of Russia's FSB is getting his day in court. Karim Baratov, a Canadian citizen of Kazakh origins, was snaffled up by Canadian police and extradited to the U.S. to face charges on his March 2017 indictment. The U.S. prosecutors are asking that the spearfisher be awarded 94 months in club fed. That's just shy of eight years. It was a nice gig while it lasted. Baratov was a hacker for hire who made it a point of not asking his employers too many questions, and it paid for him. He's a car guy. He used his FSB paychecks to buy a Lamborghini, a Porsche, an Aston Martin, a Mercedes, and a BMW. His defense team is pleading in mitigation that, one, Mr. Baratov is young, under 22 when he was most active, and two, after all, it's his first arrest. As U.S. midterm elections approach, voting is more than six months away, but American election cycles are famously long, at least 20 states have expressed a degree of uneasiness about the security of their election systems. One solution a number of people are proposing is to call the National Guard, that reliable standby the states use to deal with emergencies of all kinds. The Guard itself has cyber units of various kinds in some 38 states, and room to grow, as officers say. Such units could provide some useful incident response capability. A RAND study in 2017 concluded that there were more than 100,000 personnel in the Army Reserve and Army Reserve National Guard. That latter name is the official name of what we civilians just call the National Guard. How such expertise might be used is untested. We heard one useful suggestion at RSA in conversation with the Chertoff Group's Adam Isles. Find people with IT skills in the Guard 
and give them the ability to build up their security chops. Then they can take those skills and lessons learned back with them to their jobs. A lot of the 100,000-plus Rand saw in the guard with some relevant skills are people who work in IT jobs. That's not security directly, but it's a good start. So have at it, weekend warriors. Of course, there are plenty of people in the private sector willing to help, too. We heard from Tom Kempt, CEO of security firm Centrify, who's got an offer for state election boards. If they want to ameliorate the risk posed by stolen or compromised credentials, the kind of thing that could gum up the polls on election day, imagine the election judges turning you away with a, sorry sir, we regret it, ma'am, but your address is a digit off. They can get Centrify's zero trust platform at no charge. So that's another offer on the table. And for those of you keeping track of these things, GDPR is just one month away. Thought we'd mention that. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, welcome back. Thanks, Dave. So interesting uh, research released from the folks at Malwarebytes Labs. They were talking about uh, a device called a gray key, which is an iPhone unlocker, and they're saying there's some serious concerns here. Uh, what, what do you take? What do you, what do you suspect's going on here? Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure. These these people have developed a a small piece of hardware that does something to an iPhone that then causes that iPhone to display its uh, passcode to unlock the phone. Yeah. So what is going on there? It, it, it just the, in the article, they're speculating that there is something go, that where they install a, uh, where they root the phone or, or jailbreak the phone. And then they, I guess they have to install some kind of app that goes through and guesses the, the passwords 
that runs in the background and dis- displays a message on the screen. Going through some sort of brute force process. Uh, I'm almost guaranteeing that it's a brute force process because one of the one of the key indicators is that it takes longer to pass or to come up with a six-digit passcode than it does a four-digit passcode. And that, to me, just says brute force. So there's no right. magic in how they're breaking the phone open. They're just trying all the different combinations. The magic comes in how they stop the phone from erasing itself after so many failed attempts. Right. And that's probably why they're, they're jailbreaking it. They're probably intercepting the, the system calls that would go back and, and, and erase, those, uh, erase the, the memory chips. And one of the concerns here is that these sorts of devices have been available in the past with you know previous versions of of iOS. Uh, Celebrite was a, a manufacturer of of a different one. Yep. Um, and these, while they're intended for law enforcement, but as with these sorts of things, they can sort of slip out and make their way out into the wild. Yeah, there was one. The article talks about one called the IP Box Two which unlocked older, or still unlocks older iPhones. In fact, you can still get them on, on Amazon, the article says. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, these things have been released into the wild in the past. The gray key box, however, looks like they're being very tight with their control of it um, over you know, making sure that only law enforcement get it. That being said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, <laughs> right, right? Right. So... I'm sure it's only a matter of time before one of these things disappears from some law enforcement site. Uh, there are models that can be used anywhere. They they have a key, but the key is small. Uh, that can also be swiped out with, with the device, no problem. I don't know how concerned I am about this. It's definitely a, um, an edge case. Yeah. Well, it, it strikes me that if you're someone for whom this sort of security is a concern... You're going to know that, and you're going to be using more than a four-digit numeric password. Right, right. And even if you're using a, a longer password, I guess this thing will eventually break it. But you know, you'll be using other other ways of of communicating that that don't necessarily uh, rely on the security of an Apple device. Yeah, concentric circles of uh, of security. Where, right. You know, unlocking the phone is one thing, but then maybe another layer, encryption. You know, point to point, all that sort of stuff. Yes. Uh, you know, plausible deniability apps that, that delete chat histories. Right, right. All right, well, it's an interesting cat and mouse. And, it is. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, what's interesting about this is I'd like to know if, you know, what Apple's doing to try to address this. I'll bet that they're aware of this. Mm, mm, for sure. Um, because Apple generally tends to have a, a pretty good security stance. You know, I, I like to pick on Apple, but one of the things I don't generally pick on them about is their security. All right, Joe, it's interesting stuff as always. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.